Good afternoon to all of our fellow health enthusiasts. My name is Aubrey Mast and I am a professor of nutrition. This is a new podcast developed by my friend and colleague, Dr. Charles Benz, and we call the show Healing Trends with Dr. Benz. We search the internet every day to find the best scientific studies that can be used to improve the health of every interested person. You will not see many of these studies in conventional media because most doctors do not have the time or the interest in finding them. And there are special interests that are also less than enthusiastic about you knowing about these studies. Every week we will explore nutritional science that has the potential to prevent and even reverse 90% of chronic illnesses. This could save many lives and help to stop the healthcare crisis that will eventually bankrupt our country. This is frequently called functional medicine and it has been adopted by thousands of doctors, as well as some medical schools and hospitals such as the Cleveland Clinic. Today's program is entitled Diabetes and Avoidable Healthcare Crisis. Well, so... Is it worth avoiding, Aubrey? I think that's the question. Is this a, is this a catastrophe? Uh, what is it an epidemic? What's what's going on? What do the numbers say to you? I think it's quite dramatic, isn't it? It's extremely dramatic. I think, especially when we look at in one of the recent studies I was looking at, was that fifty two percent of the American population is considered pre diabetic at this time. You know, since one in two individuals are dealing with pre diabetes, and then we see these trends in childhood on forward. And so, you know, that's really alarming when we think about healthcare costs, when we think of quality of life, um, you know, when we think of happiness in life factors. Yeah, I think that it, it boils down to a couple of things, from, in my opinion. I think the, the tests that they're using right now are not very good. Um, I know that the A1C is the preferred test, and, and there's one called the glu- total glucose test. Neither one of those tests can really catch anything early, and I think that's what you and I have been trying to stress to people, is the earlier you can catch these uh, chronic illnesses, the better chance there is of actually preventing them and reversing them. I really prefer two, two other tests. One is called the RBC magnesium test. Magnesium is crucial uh, to the delivery of glucose into the cells. And uh, the existing test for magnesium is not very good either. So I think that if people really want to find out whether they have a risk of, of diabetes five or 10 years down the road, they need to get their RBC magnesium tested. And then as far as glucose is concerned, I like the glycomark test. It's a, it's a test that actually uh, can find cells changing five to seven years before they start to even move towards pre-diabetes. So that having been said, uh, there's a lot of people who already have pre-diabetes. And I think that one other thing I'd just like to say real quick is the National Institute of Health did a study. I think it was about a thousand pre-diabetic people. And they put oh, half of the group on metformin. At that time, it was the premier mm-hmm. you know, drug for diabetes. And they put the other half on just diet and exercise. And the interesting thing is that the diet and exercise group prevented the pre-diabetic people from going pre-diabetic to total diabetes twice as good as the metformin did. And they actually had to stop the study uh, because it wasn't fair to the people who were taking the metformin. They wanted to give them the Mm -hmm. option of changing their diet and doing more exercise. So I just think that's really tells a lot about what the impact of this thing is. And maybe that's the thing that we should talk about a little bit more. I mean, what is causing all of this, aside from the fact that the tests aren't very good, 
uh, what are people eating that they shouldn't be eating and what pe- what should they be eating that they're not eating? Mm-hmm. Well, I think the, the biggest thing we have to take into consideration is eating diets that, you know, our standard American diet, and I'll let you figure out that acronym on yourself, <laughs> by yourself, um, that, that standard American diet is filled with a lack of fiber, processed foods, high sugar foods, and high saturated fats. And I think it's that, that magical combination of not having enough phytochemicals, of having diets that are devoid of nutrients and minerals um, and that are really devoid of good forms of fats and healthy forms of sugar, i.e. fruit, um, that play a significant role in when we talk about this managing the, the diabetes epidemic. Well, I, 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 I agree with you. The, 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 the one catcher that I would throw in there is some people are born with a 10 times risk factor to diabetes than somebody else and i don't think i've i don't think i've met one doctor out of a hundred that knows this that when people are born they can have as few as two hundred thousand beta cells in their pancreas and the beta cells are the ones that make the insulin and help to make sure that the glucose gets into the cells and another person could be born with two and a half million beta cells which means that person with two and a half million they could eat the same diet as the other person and not get diabetes until they're 60 or 70. Whereas the person that only has 200,000 beta cells, they get diabetes when they're in their teens. And so this is the, and, and with the same sad diet, with that same American diet. And so that's really the, the problem. People say, well, he eats the same as I do and uh, I have diabetes and he doesn't. And doctors aren't able to explain that. So I think people need to understand this is where this whole thing about, oh, do you have a genetic predisposition? Yes, but the genetic predisposition is based on how many beta cells you have in your pancreas. So I think people have to understand if they have it in their family, they probably have a low number of beta cells. And let's start to get that diet going in a better direction because if you don't, you're going to have a lifelong challenge. And we now know that when they use drugs instead of diet and exercise, these drugs don't always mitigate the risk of heart disease and cancer and other things. People think their blood sugar gets better, but it doesn't change the risk factors very much. So that's what I really want to stress to people. Medication maybe is necessary initially to get things under control, but you should always try to get yourself onto a better diet with good supplements to get that thing resolved so you don't have to depend on those medications. Are we are we agreed on that? <laughs> We're completely in agreement, and I think there's been a lot of research that shows. You know, there's research that was published 35 years ago and has been replicated again and again and again. And some of the latest research was in 2010 and 2017 that really shows that if we put people on a plant-based predominant diet, that does not mean you cannot eat meat or have your dairy, but it means that you limit it. That you can see a reversal of insulin dependency up to 60% by within 16 days of adhering to this plant-based diet. And so there is significant factors that will influence um, those genetic predispositions by solely changing what it is that you're eating on a daily basis. Yeah, I, I, I think that's fantastic. And uh, I, I sometimes have a debate with some of my colleagues about whether exercise is equal to or more important than diet 
And there's a lot to be said for exercise being just as important as the diet side. Absolutely. Because now we know from the studies that we've looked at that when you exercise, you increase the number of insulin receptors on your cells. You make those insulin receptors stand up and become more sensitive. I like to use the picture if I'm in a a live workshop, I kind of put my fingers up uh, and I I say, well, here's what happens when you do an exercise and I let the fingers go down slowly. And I say, now your insulin receptors are asleep. And guess what? They're not going to catch any insulin and and any uh, magnesium and glucose when they're asleep. So when you exercise, you wake them up, they stand up, they become more sensitive and they even multiply. And so to me, a half an hour, 40 minutes of walking and maybe waving your arms around if you have some hand weights or something, because you need to have all the insulin receptors on all the parts of your body actually working to make those insulin receptors more active. And and then if you eat some more greens, because the greens are the place where you get the greatest amount of magnesium, I always tell people, exercise and eat your greens. You'll probably get rid of your diabetes in a couple of weeks. And it seems like your, your mm-hmm. study says almost exactly the same thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's a combination factor. I mean, it's the same. We see the same thing within all of functional medicine, right? When we talk about any chronic disease where it is targeting exercise it's targeting the diet but then it's also addressing that mind body spirit aspect and there's a lot of studies that have been published within the last three years that show that blood glucose levels can also be stabilized when individuals are partaking in a healthy diet a plant-based diet are exercising a minimum of 30 to 45 minutes a day which can just be walking around your house or your apartment and also doing some form of stress management. So meditation, deep breathing, all of those things play a um, important role when we talk about how do we keep our blood glucose levels stabilized? Because I think that's one of those factors that really influences pre-diabetes when we have glucose spikes happening and then massive glucose drops happening that influences this insulin resistance and insulin sensitivity. And and I think that a lot of this goes to, and, and people, you know, they say sugar, but I think the simple carbohydrates that don't have enough fiber in them, like the processed carbohydrates um, and, and the grains especially, uh, they're also convert to sugar very, very quickly in the body. It, it's amazing. Yes. <laughs> if you have, a, if you have a, a, a whole grain that still has the seed, uh, it's still in the seed, it takes two hours to break it down and get the glucose out and use it. And therefore, you're, you'll get these spikes that you've been talking about. Whereas it's refined and you don't have that sugar coating on there or that coating, uh, that, that, that shell on the grain. It gets burned like sugar in 15 minutes. And so you got these spikes all the time. So whole grains, uh, not the processed grains, really, really important. And, and I think if people adhered to these kind of a simple set of rules that you and I have been talking about, they could really make a big difference in, in, in their diabetes. And especially if they get those tests, the RBC magnesium and the, and the glycomark test, I, I would say in most people, probably 65 to 70%, aren't getting enough magnesium in their diet. And you know, that's nuts and seeds and, and green vegetables and things like that. So your plant-based diet is going to get a lot of that uh, under control. But sometimes they need help. 
and I, th I think magnesium, I've, I've recommended um, 400 milligrams of magnesium glycinate. I think it's one of the best forms for the body. And then a treonate, a magnesium treonate is a good one for the brain because the brain needs energy too. The, the brain uses about 20% of the energy of our whole body, even though it's like 10% of body weight. And so people don't think about the brain as needing more energy, but it's working all the time. Even when you're sleeping, you know, the brain is working. And so you have to understand if you're going to take a supplement, some are better for the body and some are better for the brain. So the magnesium glycinate is good for the overall body, but the magnesium treonate, that's the one that really gets into the, past the blood brain barrier, into the brain a lot more readily. So I want to just add that to, to the argument too. Um, you mentioned toxins, uh, and I think you have a couple that you have, have looked at before that are particularly relevant when it comes to uh, diabetes. Yeah, hexachlorobenzene is one that is huge, um, a huge contributor, I think, because it acts very similarly in the body um, for increasing the risk of diabetes, type 2 diabetes. In fact, the Harvard did a huge research um, study about hexachlorobenzene as a potential risk factor for type 2 diabetes. And so where we find that, that big word, right, is typically in canned foods. Um, you see a lot of canned foods, especially like anchovies, sardines, anything that has a high acidity within it, it tends to absorb this hexachlorobenzene. And the way that that works within the body is that it impacts our fat storage. And then it's also impacting, um, it's acting as an obesogenic compound. And so these chemical pollutants, there's a whole host of them, Charles, as you know, that are significant within talking about type 2 diabetes. And I, I don't think that we can address any chronic disease without talking about the role of pollutants because we're still trying to figure out how do these pollutants play a, a impact our um, disease risk factors. But the the coating that we find, you know, in our canned food piece, the the that coating seems to be really significant when we talk about how is fat stored within our body and then how does fat relate to this glucose management and to insulin sensitivity. And so that's really where the toxins in my research are coming up. Well, and, and I think it's really hard to pinpoint how many toxins you have in your body because uh, a lot of times there isn't an individual test that can determine that. But uh, thanks to the work of Dr. Joseph Pizzorno, uh, a colleague and friend of mine, he's isolated one particular urine test called the 8-OHGD test. And this 8-OHGD test actually measures the DNA damage being done by toxins. And so then you can say, oh, wait a minute, uh, I'm a little bit high there. I probably have too many toxins in my body. Maybe that's a contributing factor to my diabetes or some other uh, you know, chronic illness risk. And then there's a great program. Uh, and, and this is interesting because last week we had a couple of people had listened to our show and they actually came on in an email to me. What is, uh, what is the best product to get rid of these toxins in my body? And uh, so I told them about Metagenics and they have a, a, a product called Clear Change. And it's really the, the most scientifically evaluated detoxification product out there. Um, so when you, when you do their product, it, it has a lot of, it has a diet that you follow. 
uh, because they don't want you to do fasting because that could be dangerous for some people. And, but then they have you do this over, it's either a 10-day program or it's like a three or four-week program. And it really does flush out the toxins in your body. And for most of the programs that I use that, that deal with chronic illness, I say detoxify first. Because if you, if you have too many toxins in your body, whether you're dealing with cancer or diabetes or arthritis, no matter what it is, if you have toxins in your body, whatever you're going to try to do is going to be more difficult, take longer, and not be as, as effective as if you get rid of them first. So I just thought I'd throw that in because I agree with you. Uh, even when people go swimming, you know, there's a chlorine gas that comes off of the uh, pool that chlorine gas can actually deplete the amount of zinc in your body. And by depleting the amount of zinc in your body, that in turn causes a, a reduction in the amount of vitamin D3 in your body, which is one of the most important supplements out there or nutrients out there because it controls like 2,000 genes having to do with almost every chronic illness. I know, I, I, isn't there something that you found that vitamin D is also related to diabetes in some way? Yeah, well, it helps with insulin sensitivity and glucose management. And, you know, vitamin D acts as a hormone regulator within our body, and every single organ has a receptor for vitamin D. So it's intrinsically involved with this blood glucose stabilization, which is really, I think, the big conversation is how do we keep our blood glucose levels stabilized while making sure we're eating a diet that's rich in healthy fats and moving our our bodies and aiding in detoxification. So I agree with you, Metagenics has a fantastic program, but then this is also a role for like hands-on applications, eating your dark leafy greens, spinaches, cilantros, all of those um, dark leafies, especially cilantro, is known to help bind to the toxins. And, you know, I think that conversation is can be completely underrated um, in most in most situations when we talk about prevention of type two diabetes. I, I agree with you. It, it, it is underrated, and, and I, I, I I I I'm glad that you always bring it up because I I lean a little bit more heavily on the supplement side of things, and you always uh, manage to bring me back to reality and say, you know, let's do the supplements after we've done the good things for our diet. And so I'm I'm 100 with you on that. The, the other thing I think is sometimes people eat too much food at one sitting. And, yes. and I think that this has become a real problem uh, that people are eating 500,000 calories in one meal. And once you get past 400 calories or 500 calories in a meal, you're actually going to store whatever's not going to be used. And, and that's the problem with the whole uh, dieting thing that, that, that people... Uh, go too quickly into their into their diets these these uh, uh, these crash diets where they try to lose a lot by by uh, cutting that cutting back so so severely. The rule of thumb for me is if you want to lose weight, um, you take the amount of pounds that you have times ten. So if you're two hundred pounds and and uh, you, you take that times ten, you should eat two thousand calories. But then, if you want to reduce, you take 200 off that. So you never reduce your calories by more than 10% of the, of the ideal level. If you do, if you try to reduce like these big loser programs, you try to reduce more than 10% of your daily calorie intake, 
your, your metabolism is going to change. Your body's going to say, wait a minute, we don't really like this. And it'll slow your metabolism down and store more food as fat. And so that's why this whole problem of the big losers, I think, is, is a big mistake because they're just going at it the wrong way. And so I say, eat smaller meals and, uh, you know, eat, eat, you know, three small meals and a few snacks in between and just keep your caloric intake spread out over time. And I think that people are going to be a lot better off in the long term if they, because they were hunter gatherers for years and years and years. They ate what they could. But nobody ever sat down and, and had a gouging meal where they you know, consumed 1,000 or 1,500 calories. And so we've been doing that kind of silliness uh, for the last 50, 70 years. And I think that's been contributing to this diabetes crisis as much as anything. Well, and I think it's the form of the caloric intake, right? Because there was a research published in 2000. So it's dated at this point in time, but it was in the journal... Um, American Journal of Nutrition, and it was looking at eating a high caloric diet through a consumption of beans and legumes and versus having a high caloric diet from of pizzas and chips and like, you know, our typical American consumption. And so what the researchers found when they split the control groups up was that when people were engaging in those, those caloric dense meals, that they actually had better insulin sensitivity, better insulin regulation, better glucose regulation, and improved cholesterol levels by eating a diet that had higher calorie content because of the beans and the legumes than our traditional high calorie content from de nutrient depleted foods. And so I think to your point, it depends on where are we getting these calories from. And if the calories are able to deliver fiber, if they're get, able to deliver good forms of fat, if they're able to deliver complex carbohydrates, that's really where we see this blood glucose stabilization happening and we can walk ourselves away from the pre-diabetes. I, I think that's a great point. You know, in one of my workshops that I do, I talk about cravings. And uh, I tell people, you know, a craving isn't there by accident. It's something your body and your brain is saying, wait a minute, we need something here. And so I say to them, uh, how many women, I, 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 I sometimes pick on my groups because they're majority of women. And I say, how many women have a chocolate storage place somewhere in their kitchen? You know, 90% of the hands go up, right? And uh, I then say, so what do you think that's a craving for? And they go, I don't know, I just like it, tastes good. I said, that's actually a craving for magnesium. And I said, if you ate more legumes and beans, uh, you could reduce that craving. And they all look at me like, why would I want to do that? I love my chocolate. <laughs> and I say, mm -hmm. I'm not trying to get you to give up chocolate. I'm trying to get you to reduce your, the level of chocolate that you need so that you only need a taste and, and you get, you're satisfied with that. So these cravings can be modulated. And there's actually a whole list that I've created with, if you crave this food, this is, you know, this is what your body really wants. And so I think cravings are, are a really important part of it. And to your point, if you eat the right diet with the right nutrients in it, your body doesn't crave anything. I mean, I sometimes skip a meal and I don't even realize that I skipped a meal because I'm busy working and I go, did I have lunch today? Oh, I don't think I did. If your body's getting the nutrients that it needs, you won't have a lot of cravings. And so mm -hmm. I think it's really important for people to understand 
if you eat if you eat a really balanced diet, you don't need a lot of of supplements. But if you have if you have uh, pre diabetes or diabetes, and you want to get out of the uh, woodshed, so to speak, sooner rather than later, there are some that people should think about. Now I mentioned magnesium, I mentioned berberine, but there's also uh, chromium and uh, vadnium mm-hmm. and fish oil and vitamin C and an herb from uh, India called Gymnina sylvestra, which actually has been shown to produce more beta cells in the pancreas and um, uh, alpha-lipoic acid and fenugreek. These are things that you can almost sometimes, and not all the time, but you, sometimes you can find them all in one formula. And that's probably the best way to go. And recently, uh, there was a study that showed that there's a, a molecule with, within the cannabis uh, plant that actually, when they concentrated and used it on some patients, they were able to get beta cells to be reborn and new beta cells to be developed. And, and I think this is an amazing breakthrough. So cool. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it, but you know what? They can't get any funding for it. Uh, it's it's a long time process, but this might. I don't want people to be able to, s- to just automatically be able to solve the crisis by getting more beta cells. It can be a helpful thing, and I and I think it's worth pursuing if we can get some financing for it. But I think right now, um, if people concentrated on the things that you and I've been talking about, I I think that they would be able to avoid uh, pre diabetes. They would be able to deal with it and manage it. And uh, I think we would be done with this crisis. And so I don't think there's any need to uh, spend billions and billions of dollars developing this THCV molecule that, that, uh, that comes from these cannabis plants. But it's nice to know that if we do run down that road and, and have a crisis on our hands even bigger than the one that we already have, uh, there are some solutions out there that science has been looking into. And uh, I, I think, it, I hope anyway, in the future, we can do the whole thing that you and I have talked about today and, and get this thing under control. I, what, do you, what do you think the prospects are and, and, and what do you think has to be done with the doctors and the medical community to get this thing moving in the right direction? Well, I think we have to have a big conversation about how interrelated prediabetes is to you know the chronic disease risk of uh, heart disease, but then also how diabetes, type 2 diabetes, is now being uh, influential within Alzheimer's disease. Um, and, uh, and so I think the medical community, we have to have better education beyond, hey, just don't eat white potatoes and don't eat white rice or pay attention to the glycemic index as if that's the only mechanism for reversing diabetes. I mean, I think the medical system has to truly become a proponent of what a plant-based lifestyle medicine rich model looks like. And until we can have our medical practitioners embodying functional medicine and lifestyle medicine as it relates with incorporating plant-based meals, then we're going to continue to see this disconnect between people dealing with pre-diabetes and going to their medical professionals for guidance and then falling short because doctors are not trained in nutrition, nor are they trained in exercise science. They do not have the capability of delivering that form of education to their patients. Yeah, I think it's a major problem. And and unfortunately, we we don't have enough practitioners moving in that direction. 
Uh, you mentioned the Cleveland Clinic. They're, they're, they're one of the only ones that are moving in that direction. Some of the medical schools are changing their educational systems to include nutrition. I think that's a promising sign. Uh, but it's not happening fast enough. And I think that your point previous, when you mentioned about the children, um, you know, all the children born after the year 2000, uh, their risk factor for diabetes in, having, in their lifetime will be somewhere between 45 and 50%. And, um, you know, just 20 years ago, that was 8.7%. It's just ridiculous how much it's increased. So I think we have a lot of work to do. The system is broken now. COVID really showed the weaknesses of the system, but the weaknesses go much deeper than just the COVID. Uh, they need to find out that the immune system is really the answer uh, for resisting these viruses. And it can resist a lot of these chronic illnesses. Uh, I think you said it earlier, 90% can be actually uh, prevented and reversed. So. I hope that we've given people enough information today to at least uh, be curious about some of the things that we talked about. I'd like to thank our sponsors today for um, helping us to be able to provide these workshops and these webinars for people to listen to. Uh, the first organization is uh, Southern Trust Financial Planning. Um, they're a group here in Sarasota that does a, a lot of uh, good work with their clients to try to help them not only get healthier, but also to have financial health to go along with it because those two go together hand in hand. If you don't have one, you know, you, if you don't have your health, uh, having a lot of wealth really won't do you any good. And so they believe in that. And so uh, Southern Trust Financial Planning is really a, a good financial planning company that really has a conscience about these kinds of things. DHA Labs is another one of our sponsors. I, I think one of the best testing laboratories in the country. Uh, they do a lot of testing on the brain. Uh, they started out in that maybe 50, 60 years ago, but now they're doing a lot of wellness testing and immune system testing and cancer testing. And uh, they provide tests for uh, physicians and for organizations that are having good wellness programs. So go to their website, DHA Labs, and check them out. Uh, because all these tests that you and I have been mentioning, they're all available in different panels at DHA Labs. Uh, Paddock Pools is another one of our sponsors. Uh, I think they make the healthiest pools in the country because you remember that chlorine gas we talked about? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, Paddock Pools actually has an, a vacuum extractor that pulls those chlorine gases off of the surface of the pool uh, so that people don't get those pollutants. Uh, they reduce them by about 95%. And so you don't get those zinc, that same zinc and vitamin D problems. And so Paddock Pools is really dedicated to making the healthiest pools and, and having it be for everyone because exercise with swimming is one of the best exercises that people can do. And uh, finally, um, MPB Health is a company that has a really great alternative to health insurance. It's medical cost sharing. And... They're able to motivate people to stay healthy and keep their premiums down by staying healthy. And so uh, this is a group that does more than just give lip service to the idea of, uh, of wellness and a daily attention to the things that you and I have been uh, espousing here. And so MPB Health, you can go online, you can see some videos about what the program's all about. And I think that if you go there and you're an, like an individual or a small group, you can especially find it to be helpful for them because uh, you're, not, you're, gonna, you're gonna be rated inside of a group of other people that are interested in their health 
and that's where you want to be because you're conscientious and those people that are in the group with you, they're conscientious as well. So thanks again, Aubrey. I really enjoyed the show today. Looking forward to the next one.